Welcome to the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast, where it's all about, you guessed it, grant writing and funding made easy so you can increase capacity, grow funding, and advance your nonprofit or freelance mission. Now, let's hand it over to your host, grants expert and author Holly Rustic, so you can increase your funding and drive impact. Hello, hello, hello. It's Holly Rustic here with Grant Writing and Funding, and welcome to the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast, where every single week I help you grow capacity, increase funding, and to advance mission. Now, that might be the mission of your nonprofit or the many missions that you work with if you're a nonprofit consultant. All right, so for today, I have a special guest on the podcast. Sean Kosofsky, the nonprofit fixer, is back on the show. And he has some amazing insights into end of year funding, especially when it comes to our current economic condition in 2022. So this is definitely something for you to listen to, or you can watch. We're also on the YouTube channel, Grant Writing and Funding, um, if you'd like to watch it. But definitely watch or listen because he is going to be talking about how inflation is impacting your end of year giving fundraising campaign. And this is really important. Plus, he has some other amazing tips. We talk about some trends in 2022 for end of year giving. So he, he gives away a couple of really cool things. Um, we talk about how inflation is impacting your end of year giving, and he gives you some opportunities to think about some things that you should be doing then so you can really leverage funding. Don't think it's just completely gone because inflation's up. People are not going to give. They are, but the way you approach it as a nonprofit may be very different than what you normally do. And he's going to give you some tips on that in this podcast. And then we're going to talk a little bit about prepping for 2023 as well. So not only is Sean the nonprofit fixer, he's actually worked in nonprofits for more than 27 years, including as an executive director for five organizations. And he currently runs a national climate change organization, plus his own consulting company for nonprofits. He's worked in policy, communications, grassroots advocacy, direct service, development, management, and he served on numerous boards. He's raised millions of dollars for causes around the world, and he's appeared in news stories as well, including offering webinars and blog posts on AFP, Candid, Bloomerang, Wild Apricot, and so much more. You can definitely learn more about Sean at grantwritingandfunding forward slash 242 where we have more information on where to find him. And as a side note, Sean and I, we actually talk about this a little bit. We have a couple of great opportunities for you coming up before the end of the year as well. Uh, we're actually partnering together to offer you a free training that is live virtually on October 26th. So you'll definitely want to check that out, 3.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So if you want a roadmap to nonprofit strategic planning so you can get set up now before 2023 gets here, definitely go to grantwritingandfunding.com for slash 242 to sign up for that free training. And we're also partnering with Christina Edwards from Splendid Consulting to do a really fun live webinar in November. So if you want to join that, we're going to offer five tips from each of us with a downloadable. It is amazing. You're going to walk away with so many amazing tips from us. Uh, 15, but even more if you're on the call, some, some golden nuggets. So if you want to join that live nonprofit makeover is what we're calling it, then definitely um, sign up as well. You can find out about that at grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash events. And of course, if you want more free resources on grant writing and funding about how to get your nonprofit in tip top funding shape, as well as maybe you're thinking about becoming a freelance grant writer or nonprofit consultant, 
please join our free grant writing and funding hub haven where you have an online portal to all of our free stuff basically that we've given out on those three different things grant writing nonprofit funding competitiveness and freelance grant writing nonprofit consultant business stuff so if you want to join that, plus you get our weekly email. In our weekly newsletter, we share, of course, the podcast of the week, um, as well as some of the events that we have going on and just curated resources that we find that we know will help your nonprofit or your nonprofit consultancy. So jump over to grantwritingandfunding.com for more information on how to join the free grant writing and funding hub haven. All right, so let's get back to Sean because I love this interview. I absolutely adore Sean. He is just fantastic. He's one of my favorite people in the nonprofit space, and we just had a wonderful conversation. So it's always fun to talk with him and really pick his brain as well about different things in end of your fundraising, strategic planning, anything to do with board of directors and executive directors. He is the nonprofit fixer for a reason. All right, so I hope you enjoyed this episode with Sean Kosofsky. Hello, hello, hello. It's Holly Rustic here with Grant Writing and Funding, and I am super excited to help you grow capacity, increase funding, and to advance mission of your nonprofit or the nonprofits that you work with. And this week on the show, we have a returning guest, one of our most popular, I'll say, <laughs> Mr. Sean Kasofsky of, and he is a nonprofit fixer, you guys. He's with Mind the Gap Consulting. You can definitely find him at Nonprofit Fixer. More than 30 years of experience with nonprofits as an executive director and so, so much more. And you always bring so many goods to the table to our podcast. So thank you for coming back, Sean. Thank you for having me. Always excited to be here with you so we can uh, riff on some nonprofit wisdom and uh, share that with our with our people. Absolutely. And this week, you know, we're we're in the end of year, right? Let's let's face it. We're at the end of October. It is going to be an amazing end of year, 2022. Um, nonprofits now, you know, we're getting through the pandemic, still so much impact from it. Um, this year is definitely going to look different than 2021 and 2020. Absolutely. So as we get back into maybe some more in-person fundraising events, um, more in-person engagement with donors and so much more, um, this is something that some organizations are able to do. Not all, though. Not all are returning. We have a lot of performing arts. You know, that that's still a big issue with getting audience in and all of that. But we really want to look at how can we leverage, how can we make 2022 really a good, you know, wrap up for your nonprofit to get those monies in for end of year. So you're going to help us with a few tips today, right? Yep. The tips I'm going to share today have to do with fundraising. And um, I am in full agreement with you. We are in end of year mode. People have got to pull out all the stops, uh, not just to end the year strong, but to start the year strong, right? Yes. I love that. So it's also, yeah, getting on the right foot, right? So for the new year, and we also have some additional material. So if you guys love this podcast today, which I know you will, um, you will definitely want to join us on Thursday, October 26th, as we talk about strategic planning. So for that getting set up for 2023, it's a free training that Sean and I are doing, uh, Roadmap to Create a Successful Nonprofit Strategic Plan. And you can definitely sign up in the show notes, jump over to grantwritingandfunding.com for more information on that. And we also have something else coming up, which is 15 expert tips um, for our nonprofit makeover. And that's with you, Sean Kozowski, myself, and Christina Edwards of Splendid Consulting. That's coming up November 15th. So we got a lot of good in store for you because we know this is the big push, right? This is the big push to finish strong and to start on the right foot 2023. So we want to set you up for success. 
Yeah, so definitely join us on there uh, for those different things that we have coming up. And take away, right? Take notes today. You guys are going to get a lot. I know, Sean, you have a couple of tips that you really want to dive into that are in addition to the tips that you're going to be talking about on the November 15th. So do you want to kind of lay the ground? How can, you know, what are kind of fundraising trends going on right now? How can nonprofits leverage these? How can they get set up for 2023? Let's kind of dive into those different subjects today. Um, well, in terms of like the, um, there's of course a lot of uh, new trends and, and things happening, but sometimes it comes down to just like the basics, right? Like toward the end of the year, a lot of people are going to come back to their major donors in order to hit their target. Because for a lot of organizations, 60 or more percent of the budget is is from major donors, right? Not even foundations or events or mail. And so as you're sort of thinking about tapping into those sustainers or those major donors or those that are potential major donors, as you're starting to talk about uh, talk to them at the end of the year, there are all these innovative and creative ways that people are finding to engage with folks. So this isn't even one of the tips I was going to say, but because you asked about innovative things, one thing I've been loving lately is the video thank you, which is this idea that um, I got one of these the other day. I sent someone some money. So she, there's a woman of color um, uh, recording artist. And it was the whole project was trying to get more women of color recording artists out there. And she had a GoFundMe or something to get this album produced because she wanted to get her music out there. And I gave it to her and like, it took her about a month or two, but she sent me this video. Thank you. That was like, she just sat down. She said, Sean, Thank you. And it was like a two minute thing where she was just telling me what it meant to see that donation come in and what it meant that she was going to finish her album. And I shared this with everyone because I was like this, a personalized video. Thank you. Just it was a game changer. I started showing this with uh, to a number of the, my clients and a number of them started implementing it immediately. They just, it's like call time. You just sat down, took a list of 10 people that they wanted to thank and just made these videos and then sent them off to folks. So that's one thing I'm loving is people taking the time not just to write the handwritten note but these video thank yous personalized video thank yous might take a little bit of extra time but you're at, it's actually really fun they were deliberately playful and funny and it actually made getting to know them even better the, the video from uh, this other client of mine kid power mm -hmm. um, they started doing it too so that's one thing um, another tip for the major donor work um, is specifically there's this technique that I wrote a blog post about that I love talking about because I recently made it work um, twice at my organization. I run this national climate change organization in addition to my consulting work. And there's this technique in like social psychology called anchoring. And so people have heard of this, right? So if you're negotiating with someone around the price of something or you're dealing with a donor, if there's a number that's thrown out, you want to make sure you anchor the number that you're thinking about, right? So just to give you an example of what anchoring means, um, a donor reached out to me and said, hey, we're, what would you do if we were able to move you thirty-five dollars to $50,000? I said, oh, for $50,000, we can do this, 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 this. I immediately met her right at the top of her range. And just that's the only number I would say. And in fact, I deliberately said the number back to her five different times. I said, for 50,000, we could do this. Or for 50,000, we could do this. Or for 50,000, we could do this. 
a week later, she's like, we've, we've issued you a grant in the amount of $50,000. So instead of the 35, so anchoring is the device of basically like trying to, to make sure that the terms of the discussion are around the anchor that you want to drop on the ground. Right. I had another funder who I was in a meeting with them and, and they were saying, Oh, you guys just went through a transition. We have a pot of money for organizational development because you're a new executive director here. Um, how would you like to be in this pot of money? It's like between 40 and 60. And I said, well, we could totally spend 60. And mm -hmm. so she went to her computer and just plopped this in for 60. So that was a $20,000 move in like a second and cost nothing. Mm -hmm. Anchoring as a device, when you're talking to anyone, the price of a car, the uh, uh, an amount with the donor, you want to go right to the top, not a range. You want to go right to the top of what you think is possible and, and, and sort of anchor and revolve the conversation around that. That is just one tip that major donor fundraisers know about and use when they're doing major gift work uh, in writing or verbally. Oh, I love that. I love both of those tips because video is so important, right? And I remember it was funny because a, a long time ago, my daughter, uh, she did a, a lemonade stand and all that when she was five. And we would go out there every weekend and raise the money for her to go to Disney. And so she kind of like helped in that. And what we did for people who were giving donations, like some family members weren't in our geographic area to support her lemonade stand. So they wanted to give online and that sort of thing. And even friends. And then when we're at Disney, all these little videos of Bella spinning in her little snow white outfit going thank you so and so for making this dream come true with like the castle behind her and those kind of things are so special right so I mean I can totally see why this is so important and why that and especially when someone hears their name right like you said that lady was like hey Sean thanks so much like she is talking to you directly and that has so much impact so yes video is awesome I've personally seen the results of that and I love that that's getting out there more and more and honestly from from your perspective it actually might take you less time than writing a letter or writing an email like talking can go pretty quickly right to record so that's another thing is yeah. you could sit down and record a whole bunch right right there with whatever behind you to showcase what they're supporting mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, um, one, you can sit and just churn these out in like an hour and just batch all of your thank yous in one period of time. So it's pretty efficient. Yep. You could do this if you're a better talker or you're good on camera, or you can do it in addition to writing notes, right? But yeah. for some people, this is just an easier thing. Uh, but you you pick up that tone and that, and that demeanor and everything from someone when they're on video. So that's another powerful part. But as a nonprofit, you can also record this thing that you're going to give to a donor and actually show that to other people on your board and say, here's how I do a video thank you. I would like you all to practice doing a video thank you for all of your friends that you brought into the organization. When I host an event, like I just did for a charity, the, the executive director for this nonprofit that was in our home in New York, she sent a thank you to everyone. But then as a host, I also sent a thank you to everyone, right? So yeah. if your board members are out there fundraising, they could also consider a fun, playful learning and just showing other people in the organization, this is how a video thank you is done. And it's part of like the training. So you not only send yeah. it to the donor, but you use it as part of your internal like training. Oh, I love that. I love that. And then the other thing you touched on, of course, is, you know, really looking at that anchoring. And I love that concept so much because, you know, tying a cost to what you can do is so important. We know that in fundraising, it's, you know, we 
$50,000 just to support the organization in general. It doesn't, you got to still communicate. It has to anchor back to your mission statement or if you're going to spend something very specific, right? But I like that bringing the money back again. It's not like, oh yeah, you know, we could use some money to do something. But I like that having like an actual dollar sign. And especially a lot of donors do say, well, what would you do? You know, five, $10,000, I might be able to help you, right? So you always go to that higher, higher amount. So I like that too, to say, well, $10,000 can support, you know, a hundred, you know, getting a hundred cats spayed and neutered or whatever that is, right? You know what I mean? Having it very clearly connected and, and, and repeating that number. So that's, that's very good. And that shows just that there's, there, there's going to be impact from that number. So that's really good as well. For a lot of people in your audience, they are freelance grant writers, right? And so I think that when you're setting your price as a fundraiser, this works also. I tell executive directors, when you're negotiating your salary uh, and, and someone's like, oh, what, like literally the job I have now, they said, oh, I asked the recruiter, what does this executive director role pay? They said, it's between this and this. And I was just like, okay, great. So let's talk about that higher number because of my experience and background or whatever. So I start anchoring the recruiter to a certain number, right? And as your freelance fundraisers can do also, if they ever see that in a budget or somewhere there is like a range for what they could get paid on a project you go right to that top number so it doesn't just work in fundraising it works as fundraising professionals yes yes absolutely even in grants right so there's a grant ceiling award it's like go for that ceiling if you can realistically make it work like then do it so yeah i absolutely love that try to try to tap into that so those are really some good tips and that's some you know emerging trends as far as video and then anchoring's been around for a while but it's like are you implementing it so it's even looking at tried and true things and just doing them practicing them right um really having a solid effect on okay what do we need to do how much do we need to raise all of that so we talked about some kind of trends now what are other things before we move into what to prepare for for 2023 what else should people really be looking for as far as nonprofits? you said focusing on your individual donors right so maybe we can spend some time there. Do you think they should focus most of their time on donors or on other types of fundraising events, or does it just really depend? It depends on your organization. If you are, I have one client that they're almost entirely funded by um, fee for service, right? So they get like 30,000 people a year paying for their safety skill trainings, or they might have individual donors. Uh, they only get a few grants a year. <clears throat> other clients are 100% paid for by city funding. Right. Like I have one uh, client that I worked with that was the city of San Francisco was their biggest and pretty much their only like paying uh, client because they were a, a, dire a direct service sort of organization in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. So every organization is different. But I will say that because we are in a um, uh, inflationary environment right now, there's a lot of inflation going on um, and people are feeling it. It is your lower dollar donors are feeling it in, in, a, in a pretty much in, in a pretty intense way. So you might not have the same return on investment on a year-end piece of mail or on a small donor, like online digital campaign that you usually do. So I think it's more important to anticipate that you might see some fall off between now and the end of the year. So now is a really, really good time. I know a lot of folks that are working in the economy right now, and they're seeing a collapse in donations right now because of the inflation. So doubling down with your sustainers, doubling down with your most reliable donors, you probably aren't going to find a ton of new donors right now. So really going back to your um, 
foundations and major donors and going back to sponsors and seeing if they could put in a little bit extra at the end of the year because we're going through this inflation stuff. Some people are, they've already budgeted for this stuff at the beginning of the year. So there's a budget for, uh, for major donors or whoever, they already are thinking about a particular gift at the end of the year, but there's low dollar donors anticipate that there's going to be a little bit of a shortfall in December because uh, so many folks are feeling the gas price issue and just other inflationary things happening in the economy. Yeah, that and that's a really good note because yeah, that does have an impact. And that's kind of what I was going to ask you is to say everything is inflating right now with prices. So should we be, you know, should they be asking for the same types of donations year after year, you know, or should we increase those according to the inflation? So I think that I think that we should be asking our bigger donors to to go to go deeper. Uh, we just literally had a foundation come to us and say we're giving you ten percent more for next year because of inflation. They wow. just offered that on their own. So we were like, oh, okay, so foundations understand that this yeah. that your dollars just don't go as far, right? But the smaller donors aren't thinking about that. There's way too many people to ask to give a little bit more. Um, in fact, so you just count on the major donors and the foundations and your sponsors for the people that you could say, could you give a little more because of inflation? We're going to see some fall off with small donors that we're hoping come, come back next year. That's something I'd be building into your fundraising strategy for the end of the year. Okay, great. And as far as, um, and that's, thank you for sharing that because that's really important. And I'm glad that foundation gave you guys an increase because that's, that's important, right? And it's good that they, they know that. Um, so if we're looking then at doubling down on our current donors, existing donors, existing funding sources, such as foundations, sponsors, et cetera, and saying, Hey, can you give a little bit more? Um, you know, what else can people do then? Should they keep up with some of those just the same strategies and go heavier on those? Or should they try something new to see, can we bring in another stream of income or is it kind of too late at this point of the year? Like what are your, your tips on that? I would say that it's really late in the year to be experimenting or tinkering. So I think it could be risky. I, I'm all about innovating and trying to do things, but just really have a plan. Don't like throw together a last minute event because, because things are just opening up because you just want to. I have one client who just did an event. They did like a, a comedy festival and, um, and they accidentally put it on the same weekend as like, you know, um, uh, uh, Indigenous People's Day or Columbus Day, right? So they 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 didn't realize some people might be heading out of town that week because it was like a four day weekend or something mm -hmm. for some folks. So um, it was sort of like the first time they had ever done this event in this month or anything like that, and they just didn't hit their numbers at all. So trying something new at the end of the year can be a little dicey. What I would say is is go deep on the strategies that work. So do more prospecting. So one of the things I do toward the end of the year is I definitely investigate. I, I have a list of foundations that I've been meaning to go look up to see whether they fit or a list of donors that I've been meaning to call. I just kind of like do that research and just do call time, right? I just go deeper on the strategies that pay off. It's usually major gifts. It's really hard to turn around a grant at the last minute, yeah. but if you know someone on a foundation board and they've been coming to you every year for funding, go to them and say, do you have a discretionary pot at the end of the year? We could use an extra five to 10,000 because of the because of inflation. So I would pick the, the revenue streams that are doing well and go deeper in that. The time for innovation, I think for most organizations will be in the spring. Mm -hmm. Right now you can start putting the groundwork for trying new things, but I worry that if people have um, bills to pay and numbers to hit at the end of the year, that trying to experiment at the end of the year could be risky. Not saying not to do it, I'm just saying it's, it could be just riskier. 
Right, right. And I, and I think that's really good because, you know, there's a lot going on. There's so much going on at the end of the year, right? There's a lot of noise. This year, especially, we have the elections, right? You know, so it's, it's you know, you also have to look at those types of things, right? So to see what's going on, what's going to be, social media is going to be filled, ad spaces are going to be higher, all of those types of things, because it's end of year, um, Black Friday, you know, Thanksgiving, all of the holidays, right? There's a lot of interruption of people opening emails and that sort of thing. So I like the tried the 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 true, you know, the tried and true kind of things that you can repeat, but go deeper into those. And maybe you know, you have a little time if you want to try a little spin on something here and there, go for it. Um, but you kind of also that was a perfect segue to to say you know, spring may be your time of outlining a plan for something new. So as we segue in, so end of the year, you had some great tips, do some videos, anchor your prices, re, you know, go to what the low hanging fruit, what's actually bringing in money, see if you can get that a little higher, have your donors, your funding sources, ask them for a little bit more, but don't expect a bunch of new individual donors necessarily because of inflation. But as we look, we go into 2023, what can nonprofits then, you know, even with their end of year fundraising, should they start planning for 2023 already? Yes, absolutely. So I think that plans are really solid and really strong when they are, are, are starting early, right? So you can't just knock one out in a weekend. It just doesn't, it just doesn't come together the same way as uh, when you have a lot more thought and time to pull people into the conversation. So people should definitely be thinking about next year now. Uh, we're going to be almost fully out of the pandemic next year in terms of being able to do live events again or in-person events again. People will be traveling. You could get a guest speaker to your gala where you maybe from out of state, a bigger name to draw in ticket sales. There's all sorts of things that are going to be possible next year that aren't necessary that were not for a lot of people possible this year. And hopefully next year, there's also a sense of um, you know unemployment's pretty low right now, so like people are feeling like that there's a there's they're they're cautious about like inflation, but people are feeling like they've got money in their pocket. It's just going out for like basic necessities right now, right? Yeah. So hopefully if, if we're able to bring the inflation back down, uh, we still have to contend with uh, a possible recession, which is like to get these two different things that are going to be lingering there for a lot of people. But I think if you start planning now for next year, you can lay out one of the most important things about having a plan, which is like who does what by when. And that is like getting more people involved in your fundraising strategy than the prior year. So mm -hmm. assigning my 10 board members are each going to do this by this date. Um, or um, my staff are all going to do these things by this date, but having a, a, a earlier horizon on your planning really makes everything seem easier. If you can map out the calendar of the year and say, oh, it, it, you know, um, these things happen in December, these things happen in summer, you know, we can, we can plan things further out. Just having that foresight and that time to plan is really golden. I see a lot of people in like March saying, oh, it's time. We never got to that plan around the holidays because everyone was kind of gone. Let's write our plan three months into the year. <laughs> and, and by then you've lost a lot of corporations give their money away in the first six months of a year, right? So you'll be, you'll be really caught late if you try approaching corporate sponsors in May, right? So getting that plan done early is really important. 
Yeah, I love that you said that too, because it does when you plan ahead, and we're going to be talking about this in our webinar on the 26th of November. So create the roadmap to create a successful nonprofit plan. So please join us because um, we're going to lay out some details on that. But just to get some teasers on that and to add some context to that too, it, it really is important, right? It helps you reduce your stress and you're not going to like think about it. A lot of nonprofits that, like you said, they do it in March. Oh, we finally got some downtime after the holidays. Let's do it now. You've lost an entire quarter, right? Of being able to get monies in the door of being prepared. And like you said, maybe major donors, because they're already, they've already uh, committed to other nonprofits that had their ducks in a row. So that's huge, right? So it really is important. And it doesn't need to take a lot of time. You can keep building the plan and it can evolve, but at least having those basics, like you said, right? So would you say some of the major basics are just laying out the calendar? Is that a start where people can start from? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is, 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 you know, when I think about planning, there's a lot of different ways to do planning, but the simplest, most easy way to say on this video, so people can remember it. When I think about fundraising, I think about like, what is your pitch, making sure you have your pitch ready, what are the things, it could be your case for support, it could be your need statement, could be whatever, but having your pitch ready to go, what is it that we are going to tell people what problem do we solve and how much money do we need, right? Your pitch is one thing. What platforms is like the pitch, the platform and the people It's the three P's that I talk about in my fun fundraising formula. So mm -hmm. you need to have your pitch down, which takes time to hone that because some people are going to talk about it differently. And then the next thing is the platform. Are you going to use Facebook fundraisers all year and have constant birthday fundraisers throughout the year? Some people actually sustain their organization on birthday fundraisers throughout the year on Facebook. Or are you going to um, use your platform is going to be direct mail. Is it going to be events? Lots of little house parties. If you're a small community organization, that might be a way to do things. And then after the pitch and the platform, you think about the people. So which people are going to be fundraising? Are you going to have all of your board and all of your staff doing stuff? Do you have a consultant like you, you know, like, like uh, bringing on extra support, doing certain things? We have 10 grants we want submitted next year. Lay those out evenly across the calendar or are they mostly due in the fall? And therefore you can do events in the spring. So having that map, but who does what by when? If you can do a one page plan and your plan is probably way more sophisticated, but back of a napkin, folks who have never planned before, as long as you get like the who does what by when into one piece of paper, have everyone look at it and say, yes, I in front of each other. If you can be on a Zoom board meeting, or your team and everyone's like, yes, I agree. I will take on that thing. That accountability is really important to have people say in front of others, I promise to do X on this list. Right. And I, and I love that because it can be so simple, right? And then that is going to save you so much stress and time and, and, you know, missing out on funds, right? Because you have a plan, you know, who's going to do what, you know, when it's going to be done. You can bring that to board meetings. You can bring that to staff meetings to report on, are we on task, right? So it, that's, that's brilliant because we want to get ahead. So we want to be able to see what are those different things that you're going to do. So for 2023, then, are there any new trends in fundraising or just in general for nonprofits to be thinking about? Like you said, more in-person events, um, inflation, possible recession. What should people, you know, should they just do the same old, same old? Should this be the time where they kind of think of something new that, you know, what kind of things should they have on their mind? Yeah, you know, I think that um, um, uh, 
uh, I try to watch and follow some of the different trends of what's happening out there in nonprofits. And, you know, for the most savvy organizations, they're starting to experiment with, um, uh, you know, these digital online communities, right? So some of them, there are these communities where you can do a virtual conference and not just a meeting like Zoom or something, but a virtual conference in this, in this environment, right? These have been around for two years or so, maybe even longer, but um, I don't want to name any of the companies right now, but you can just kind of go and find these like online conferences where ev everyone can come together and be in a main conference hall, or you can go out to breakout rooms and you can have be in a room where everyone's just having cocktails and drinking or drag your little avatar on top of a, seven other people and have a conversation with them. Really, really fun. Mm -hmm. Those sorts of communities are, are really fun. So some people are experimenting with those where they might not be able to bring together a summit or a conference or some kind of like um, a long gathering and they're, and they're doing these instead. And there's a way to have people pay or register if it's a ticketed event, or you can do this as a donor appreciation event. So these online communities where folks can kind of come together, many donors have never met each other especially mm -hmm. since COVID. If they're new donors during COVID, um, especially if you're working on racial justice or on you know, women's reproductive health issues or whatever, if there's new donors coming into the movement now and they might not have met other people, these kind of online platforms can be powerful. Um, you'd need a strategy for that because I haven't yet used them to raise money. I've only been using them to gather people, but I think that could be monetized even better. Um, and then the second uh, trend, I think that um, for a lot of people in uh, small nonprofits can think about is uh, going back to basics, I think, in terms of uh, their website. And so I think if you can go back to your website and just sort of optimize and, and fold in some of these tips and tactics that people have found through research about defaulting your donors to monthly sustainers, uh, making sure that you have um, uh, the uh, charity ranking services at the bottom of your page. It's little tips that just make your, your donation page even better. We're, it might not seem innovative, but there's more and more data all the time about what kinds of things need to be on that donation page on your website. And in a way that is technology. Going back, benefiting from all of this data, nonprofit tech for good. Um, you know, there's all sorts of these other nonprofits out there that are rounding up this knowledge regularly. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and sharing it with people about what works on your on your website and specifically what works on your donation page. We are missing 20 to 30% of people who land on our donation page and then don't give because something's confusing them or something is making them go away. And confusion kills conversion. If people are confused when they get to your site, you're losing them. So a back to basics thing for the future is just tightening up your tech. I love that. I love those. Yeah. So something new could be those gathering platforms, this new technology that has emerged. And I love that concept, Jean, that you talked about of your donors meeting each other, right? So especially if you're trying to create that community, because if I give, say, for reproductive health care and, you know, I'm giving to an organization, I don't know any of the other donors, especially individual donors necessarily. If I'm not going to an event, I just see something online. I'm really excited about it. So I give. So what a great idea to bring other like-minded individuals like myself or, you know, because you're giving to the same cause, right, to a, a place where they can connect online and be like, hey, you know, and build those relationships. Like, that's fantastic. I love that idea. I think that's so cool. Like, it's for donors, but you could do it in different ways, like you talked about. You can monetize it. You can have it as part of just, um, you know, uh, appreciation as well. So a value add, like so many different ways that you can do that. That's that's a great idea. 
Yeah. You could do a Facebook, you could do a Facebook group just to bring your donors together, a LinkedIn group, or you can even create a Slack community. So lots of folks are on Slack now. So yeah. if you could just create a Slack community and invite people so they all can chat with each other, you can do video in Slack. But having people be able to connect with each other and part of the prompt is why do I support this organization? So when you chime into the chat community or when you join the Facebook community, whatever it is, so donors can meet each other, the first prompt they're given is I'm here because and I support this organization because. Right? Right. And wow. then it just really makes the donors feel like there's a community of donors. Yeah. And for lots of nonprofits, that's like the gold standard, right? If you can get your donors all working together and then, and, and, you know, loving the community and fellowship that comes with that, that's powerful. I think that's great. I love that so much. And it's a safe space because like you are around people who have the same, um, you know, initiative and momentum or want to create that social movement. So it goes back to kind of deinstitutionalizing the nonprofit and making it a wider social movement. So I think that's really, really cool. But I also liked your tech or your, your tip a lot on the just tightening up your tech, tightening up things, right? So now's the time to to go back to those donation pages and to look over things to see, you know, check out other nonprofits who are doing really well. What are their pages look like, right? Get some ideas as far as how is the flow. And also what I always like to tell people, and I'm sure you do this too, is have someone go from your, from your nonprofit or a friend or family, that sort of thing, and test your donation page. Because a lot of times that might lead to a pick here to donate. It goes to a 404 page because something was whatever disconnected at some point, right? Those types of things. So do you also recommend that? And at what frequency of you do you recommend that? Yeah, I, I do believe people should once or twice a year test the entire customer journey, not just the donation page. So you might ask three people who have no relationship to each other, very different backgrounds. Hey, can I ask you to go to our website? If I just said go to our website and make a $5 donation. Please take screenshots at every step of the journey. So uh, was it easy to find the donate button? What, what page were you greeted with when you made it to that page? Did it load slowly? Uh, was everything clear? Could, was anything like out of jumble? Try this on your cell phone also, instead of just on a computer. Because like, like 50 to 60% of gifts now are being given like on mobile devices. And so, and then on the thank you page, what are you seeing? And then what happens with the email afterward? How long does that take? So that whole customer journey, it's not just the website and say, take screenshots of every single thing in order and then send those to me. Can you just make that $5 gift and show me what you what what you're seeing and you will be mortified at some of the things that are happening in that customer journey especially small nonprofits because you're gonna be like I thought I fixed that you know and yeah. it's just it's just something that we we need to take a look at right but that could be the the difference between getting donations and not getting donations but just by asking three people to do that right you know to go through that because they can catch these things that may be causing friction for your donors so whether that's it, you know, your page took three minutes to load. So I just, I didn't finish. <laughs> so I got distracted with something else. So yeah, definitely uh, those things are important or giving on the phone. That's a really good tip as well, because our mobile, you know, the way the websites look on your mobile phone may be very different. So, and we're seeing yeah. a lot more people give on their phone and it depends on your demographic too, right? So who you're reaching out to. So these are great tips. So I love that we talked about and you gave some amazing tips as far as Here's what you can do. Here's some trends to look at for end of year giving. Here's some things that you can do to really bolster it up and things that you need to think about. So inflation, right? Um, this may be impacting your donors. It doesn't mean you can't still meet your goals, but here's some great ways to do that. 
And then for 2023, hey, you got to start planning now. It doesn't have to be complicated, but we need to get up a plan at least. And then here's some new things that you can think about as well as tightening up. So really great tips today, really doable tips as well. So thank you so much, Sean, for sharing this um, information with the grant writing and funding audience. And um, anything before we close out today that you want to uh, leave on a last note for? Uh, no, just that I'm really, really excited about this uh, 15 tips that we're going to be sharing with each other with uh, we know with Christina. I'm really excited about that event. Really excited to uh, talk about the strategic planning. Uh, and then later in the fall, uh, uh, we're going to come back together and talk about boards and how to build boards. So I'm just uh, very excited about the holiday season this year. I have a sense of optimism in the air and uh, just uh, can't wait to show people how to how to knock it out of the park. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And you guys, if you want to check out more about Sean, do check out the show notes. You can also go to uh, www.nonfixer, uh, right? Nonprofitfixer.com. Sorry, nonprofitfixer.com for more information about Sean Kosofsky and this amazing work that he does. So thank you so much for coming back on the show. And we'll have you back uh, soon for 2023 to talk about the new things that we're doing in for uh, boards and so much more. Thanks again, Sean. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast episode. And once again, if you'd also like to watch these episodes, jump over to YouTube and you can find us at Grant Writing and Funding. And for all of today's show notes, go to grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 242. Yes, we are on the 242nd episode today. Woohoo! So we are definitely racking up the episodes. So it's so much fun though. We always have so much content because there's so many wonderful people out there that we can invite on the show. And there's so many tips that we can provide you as well so if you love this podcast please do subscribe and also would you do me a favor leave a review on your podcast listener as it does help other people find this podcast i hope to see you at the training on october 26th with sean as we give you the roadmap to nonprofit strategic planning and of course i'd love to see you with sean and christina um, we're actually going to talk to Christina next week, so you're going to hear more from her. And if you love the tips that Sean talks about today and what Christina talks about next week, then you're definitely going to want to join us for the nonprofit makeover um, so you can get even more tips that are just golden gems to move your nonprofit forward as we're an end of your fundraising. All right, I'll see you all next week. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. Bye-bye.